Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Joe, how often did you go to the movie theater roughly 16 years ago? You know, actually, I think I probably went to the movies the most during that time period. Um, like, because that was, uh, what, late, late high school, early college time period for us. So, yeah, that's when there was lots of disposable income and not a lot of things to do with it. So I went to the movies quite a bit. Well, I just realized that my math was actually off by two years. <laughs> Oh, because I, 18 years ago, even I meant better. To, I meant to ask 18 years ago because I wanted to feel even <laughs> older tonight. Even older. Perfect. <laughs> great, great idea. Great plan. So in that case, yes, definitely even more disposable income because I'm definitely living with my parents and there's no bills. I just have to pay for my gasoline and my entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. So you were still basically uh, shouting out the side of your best friend's ride, trying to get a, a hold of the ladies, right? I, I, I don't think I was ever a scrub, but I was pretty <laughs> oblivious. So it balances out. Got some deep cuts over here. Yeah, I apologize for that. <laughs> yes. What we're doing here is kind of table setting like we tend to do when it comes to some of these properties. And today mm -hmm. we are talking about a little film called Euro Trip that came out in the year 2004. Yes, and to make things clear, in case uh, you were like some of us 18 years ago, your trip, not a sequel to the Tom Green film Road Trip. Very different movies. Came out around the same time. They both had trip in it. I get it confusing, but the movies have nothing to do with each other. Usually is like the first place people go when they talk about this. You know, they're like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's just a rip off of Road Trip. And it's like, eh. Eh, not, not really. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Actually, the I mean, mm -hmm. well, well, technically, some of the things that kind of happen, the hilarity on the way. It's like, yeah, it's a it's a disaster trip movie in a lot of ways, but mm -hmm. it, it had nothing to do with that. All it had to really do with was the fact that it was originally called Ugly Americans, and then uh, when it kind of got time to put it in theaters, people were like, "Ugly Americans doesn't sound marketable at all." Yeah. <laughs> And, so and really, like, when you look at like like the term like ugly Americans, like it doesn't really even fit the movie very well, does it? Because it's not like when our our youngsters go abroad that they're obnoxiously American everywhere they go. So it's really you know it's a I think a better change to go to Euro Trip over Ugly Americans. I was gonna say, man, I, all of the main cast are I would say at least six to sevens out of ten, maybe even higher. I would not say ugly is a, is the right word to use at all. <laughs> but but no, yes, no. That's I, exactly I, what ugly and ugly means. Yes, right. <laughs> We're just going off of a scale of 10 and nothing else. Yeah. 
ultimately here, what we've got is kind of a movie that comes out on the, I wouldn't say the end of this like teen movie resurgence thing, you know, at the end of the 90s when American Pie was getting big and people had a reason to insert Blink-182 into films, we suddenly saw money being pumped into what seemed like, you know, an untapped area of cinema. And so even though teenagers like yourself and me, we were going to see a lot of movies, not this kind of movie at first. Mm -hmm. And so this was definitely, I would say, near the the end of that point where teen movies weren't just parodies of other things. These were still relatively original stories that just happened to have teenagers within them. And Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of almost like um, when a period of time like us growing up, you had like every generation was presented with the generation before them to idolize or like um, in like film, TV, or like any sort of media. Because like you think of when we were kids, most of the properties we liked, the, like the heroes were all teenagers. But people who were teenagers thought those shows were too childish to really enjoy. And they liked things that involved adults being the, the leads and the main stars and what they were watching. So this really was like, you know, part of that first wave of the genre yeah which which is why i think for a lot of us that went to go see it back in these days we have a pretty high affinity for it because it is an original story you know for the most part mm -hmm. it, it's and uh we'll get into some of the reasons for why it's just so memorable of course but before we do that we like to kind of take you back to fully pull out some of the the details on these films now Technically, this was a box office bomb, which uh, it, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it had a production budget of $25 million, only made back 20.8. For those of you that have a hard time visualizing, it's, yeah, it just didn't work out. This was not a successful yeah. film. Yeah, sure. Just a little, little under $5 million there. Uh, just like our boy Dread, the grosses were too low for a year trip, too. Yeah, far too low. Now, I would say in the years since, we've had quite a bit of a renaissance for this movie, though, because when you ask people from our generation, you know, the old fucks now that are getting past that <laughs> hump of 35, a lot of making us... Making podcasts and such. Yeah, yes, ma making podcasts and thinking of creative ways to hide our money so that the government can't get to it. <laughs> th th this was the, the movie that a lot of us like look back to and go, man, I love Eurotrip. And you can start a yeah. conversation with people around that. You know, like when you're meeting new people and you're trying to figure out how to hide your anxieties, you go, hey, did you like Eurotrip? And it's like, okay, if they say <laughs> yes, we'll continue. And this mm -hmm. night will be great. If not, I will leave. And I will yeah. not come I mean, back. at the very least, you can always have a conversation starter of, you know, moving past someone. Instead of going with the traditional ope here in the Midwest, you could say, miscuzi, as you actually bump into <laughs> someone as you go along. And if they laugh, they've watched Eurotrip and enjoyed it. So... It's oh. a great way to start a conversation with millennials. Yeah. Could you seriously think of another film that is more quotable than this one from like this same era? This is easily one of the most quotable movies I think I've ever seen, you know, in the last 20, 25 years. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at like other, like other hits of the same area, if you even look at like Road Trip, I can't remember a quote from Road Trip other than, no, 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 I, I can't take that. Take it back. I do remember one, one quote from it but the joke hasn't aged well it had Ooh. to deal with a like someone wearing a uh like being a wrestler 
and another character asked if the unitard, if the singlet came in hetero. Ooh, yeah. And yeah, that one, that one hasn't aged well. But given that I, I don't like actual wrestling, I have a, I have a bad, I have bad blood with wrestling ever since high school. And uh, a wrestling coach who refused to pay me for my announcing services. You know what? Make fun of wrestling all you want. I'll laugh at the joke, even if I don't think it's all that funny because I hate wrestling. But I digress. Not professional wrestling. The Macho Man. Gone but not forgotten. But wrestling, wrestling? Dumb. But even that movie, <laughs> like one quote. Um, think hey, of wait, like, wait. Uh, there was, there yeah. was uh, Release the Fury. Oh, uh, Yeah. The, the mouse and the snake, mm-hmm. yeah. But ultimately, yep. though, your mm-hmm. point is correct that the that I can't even think of a whole lot of road trip that I can quote outside of that. And I've seen that movie plenty of times too. I mean, not yeah. not obviously the same amount that I've seen Euro Trip here, mm-hmm. um, but there was something about Euro Trip that's very specific that Road Trip doesn't have going for it, and that is the writing and directing team. So we have writing writer and director Jeff Schaefer who's joined by his writing partners, Alec Berg and David Mandel. Now, Joe, are you familiar with any of those three people from that creative team? Uh, I mean, I've watched some TV, um, specifically probably the biggest, and I'm going to say unquestionably the best sitcom of the 1990s, Seinfeld, and say definitely recognize Schaefer as a part of that writing team. So yes, that's a win right there, having him on board. He is credited with having created the Festivus poll from Seinfeld. <laughs> he was deeply in, in, mm. ingrained within the Seinfeld creative team, especially near the end, uh, wrote several episodes. And this creative team, this entire creative team, they all know each other from college. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, dude, and, and they moved on to Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. So... All three of them have been speaking to us in different I mean, ways, you Joe. Had, you had me at Festivus Pole. It is, <laughs> it is just brilliant in its simplicity. It's not distracting like tinsel. So perfect <laughs> holiday right. item. Exactly. Yeah, but, that, but that's the part of this that's interesting to me is that the same creative team here is responsible for some of the funniest things that came out of Seinfeld near the end, or at least maybe the more memeable moments in Seinfeld happened mm-hmm. during their reign. And oddly enough, this memorability thing, ha- memorability, making up fucking words tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but but this, this, the memorable moments here, I mean, are just by the forkload. It's the same, same mm-hmm. thing, man. I, I don't know how they do it. These guys just have a, a tendency to make things that stick in your brain. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's like they, specifically for this movie, took some of like, of course, like some of the major, like, I think American wanted destinations in Europe to like have the the cast visit. But then they definitely took like things that were like must do's in those country, in those countries and made them a part of the film and just found brilliant ways to kind of poke fun at Americans going and trying to do and see these things. So they just, I mean, they hit the nail on the head with it. I think they did too, mm-hmm. but the people that don't agree with that would be the critics over at Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. They decided that about 47% of them uh, enjoyed this film, mm-hmm. and the audience scores were 75%. So it's, yeah, pretty much a dividing I mean, line. It just it just goes to like show how much I just don't trust Rotten Tomatoes. Um, 
And I used to be like, I'm okay with it. We disagree here and there. But I mean, after Ghostbusters 2016 and how it had a near, like, well, had a certified fresh rating from the critics and the audience hated it. And even when you looked at, like, the actual rating from the critics and read the reviews, they seemed to hate it, but rated it high. I mean, and then they, they hate your trip on top of that. Who are these people with their tomatoes? Get them out of here. I don't care about them anymore. I have my own so podcast. Listen to me, not that. Yeah. <laughs> what you're referring to, Joe, is a phenomenon known as certified suspicious, which is absolutely yeah. what I believe in now. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. Because looking at the the ratings for this, and you look at the uh, some of the discussions that happen within the reviews, even they're saying that this is a raunchy teen romp. It's hilarious. There's a lot of funny things. Mm-hmm. But it's problematic about this. This didn't age well. And it's like, you know, the, judge it based on the comedy. Let's not look at yeah. necessarily what you developed as a view later on in life and then try to apply yeah. it to something. Because that's, that's, that's not going to be a good time no, no matter what that's property That's not fair. You I mean, with. even you get Richard Pryor, the genius of his time for comedy. His comedy doesn't always age well. <laughs> There's, yeah. There are Richard Pryor things that you cannot use in, in commonplace or public anymore. But that's not to like, you can't slide Richard Pryor for that. He was brilliant. So same deal here. Yeah, I even mentioned how like Road Trip. Yeah, the one joke that I liked because I hated wrestling so much doesn't hold up anymore. Doesn't mean I hate Road Trip. Not as good as this movie. But I don't hate Road Trip for what it was. Hey, look, there are times when I'm watching Blazing Saddles at home and when there's a joke that hits and I look over my shoulder and I'm like going, (laughs) should I be watching this? Because I'm... I'm scared for myself <laughs> if I laugh. You know, I mean, seriously, that's just how comedy works. Things change over time. So that's yeah. why I'm not like critically hard on the creators of this this movie. But let's let's get into it for a second here. So when we look at the beginning of this film, we have our our main character that uh, a lot of people just whittle down to Scotty because that's the easy way to look at it. But his name is Scott Thomas, and he's actually placed in a very specific scenario that a lot of us have kind of been through. You're getting out of high school. You're not quite sure what to do. You know, you, you've got your your girlfriend that you've got a long-term relationship established with, and you're ready to mm-hmm. stick it through. And I'm laughing because I know that's a bullshit thing to try and do, and it didn't work for me. Not going to work oh, for a God, lot of people. No. <laughs> I mean, it works for very few people these days. And I think it's, I mean, it has to be because, like, high school is no longer, like, the benchmark for education. Like, it's oh, yeah. basically, like, under normal circumstances, you can pretty much get out of high school and get a, and get a, get your diploma. Not too bad. Um, and so before, it was like, no, high school's kind of where it stops, so make sure you found the person you want to be with because yeah. you probably won't meet them after that. So here, I mean, in this time, this time, like, we can hope that we can stay together with our girlfriends from high school or boyfriends from high school, but odds of it working... Slim. I can think like, of like yeah. four of my friends who've made that work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, a very important distinction to make. And I'm going to make it several times is that, yes, this is a teen comedy, but this is not like any of the others that came before it because usually this is like an emotional based experience, right? Oh, so mm-hmm. many things are changing. What is going to happen to me? You know, and they mm-hmm. kind of draw this out throughout the movies usually, right? Like they, there's. There's mm-hmm. friendships that fall apart, you know, there's there's all these things that kind of earmark, okay, at 45 minutes this happens, at an hour 15. I don't want to wait. 
for our lives to be over. Yes. I want to know right now, what will it be? And there we go. That's yes. that's my singing for the season. Now that yes. it's done, I've done two songs. But yeah, yeah, it's that emotional draw of that um, coming of age that a lot of these teen dramas uh, started back in this time period and are well known for now. It kind of pokes fun of that without being overly like parody of it. Uh, it's not like the obvious, like not another teen movie, which obviously makes fun of this genre, yeah. or oh, the yeah. not another superhero movie, which made fun of the superhero genre before it was really even that big. Oh, yeah. So it does a good way of being a way to make fun of that without being an out, outright or full-on spoof. Well, it's a it's a careful balance of being absolutely ridiculous because rather than spend the majority of the movie trying to have this like bullshit growth that we all know isn't going to really matter. They hit mm-hmm. Scotty Scott, whatever you want to call him with like every bad thing immediately. Yeah. Like, like the the, the yep. first five minutes, his relationship falls apart. Uh, mm-hmm. He finds out his girlfriend's been cheating on him on top of that, because she hands him a letterman jacket. That's not even his. Even his. <laughs> and she's tired. <laughs> she's tired of the cheating. <laughs> and he's like, yep, tired what, of what, the cheating. What cheating? I'm not cheating on you. I know, and that's what makes this so hard. <laughs> yeah, which, oh, by the way, if, if if you haven't seen this movie, his girlfriend's name is Fiona, which will become very important for a, uh, for a musical interlude coming up. But uh, if you do see this, you'll probably recognize her if you are a um, superhero TV show fan, because oh, it's yeah. Kristen Kruick from Smallville. She played Lana Lang on that, and then later um, would go on, I think, Beauty and the Beast in quite a bit. But yeah, so she has a, a relatively small cameo-esque role in this movie as Scott's girlfriend. And, and honestly, I've only seen her in a, in a few things. You know, I haven't seen her in a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I had originally seen this in theaters, it was one of the few movies I actually saw because, Joe, I was playing the football and doing other things. Didn't uh, always make sports, it there. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was still training and getting getting thin and cut, as you can clearly see, not the case anymore. But yes, she was great. And the fact that she was great was based on the on this like how how stone faced and cold hearted she was. Yeah. It, it, just brutal. <laughs> it was so brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many other times have you seen someone be just that heartless towards a character when it wasn't like a fairy tale or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a, a, like a high stakes drama? Like she is so mean yeah. to him. Very again, like this is it's not like a character who like we've we've complained about in the past for villains who are like evil for the sake of being evil. Um, it is clearly someone who is just, like we to degree, I think a lot of us have been there where we are definitely mentally done with the relationship before it's actually physically over yet. Oh, um yeah. not that like I'm like condoning like the fact that she was clearly cheating on him with at least one football player and a musician, but um you could just tell the way she talked to him. She's like, dude, I'm done with you. <laughs> and I am, I have, I've been ready to move on so much so that I actually have. And if you have seen her in other things, like again, it shows that she has great range as an actress because this was definitely not how she was as Lana Lang. This wasn't uh, how she was as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. And um, I think the only thing I can think of was uh, she was in a Street Fighter movie where she was Chung Lee. Oh, and, dear Lord. Okay. Yep. Yep. That was a 
not to her fault and not a great movie <laughs> but um, it's, it's most but again, video game adaptations tend to be it's not the fault of the actors yes no 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 not 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 quite i mean i would put it as probably slightly better than the van damme movie and that like that one was outright camp and this one was like no we'll try just the budget's not there so oh, yeah. we'll have that but yeah no she does a phenomenal job with um a small but pivotal role for this movie. Yeah, and she does a fantastic job with it. Of course, a few moments later, we get to understand the full details of the cheating, not just the rumors, not just what we could speculate. No, we get a fully detailed explanation of how she cheated on Scotty because a band literally made a song about it, and it is incredibly catchy, <laughs> well-made, <laughs> reappears throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Joe, tell us about Scotty Doesn't Know. What would you like to say uh, well, about that? Well, one, before we get into the movie, as a as a personal phenomenon, one, it exists on, I think, several playlists that I listen to on a regular basis. Like It, it, cops, it pops on and I can't shut it off. Love it. When I used to work at a bar, how we'd actually end the night is we would sing the end of this song with Scotty Doesn't Know, and then, then we'd end on Scotty's Gotta Go, got to and go. then we'd turn yeah. all the lights on and kick everyone out. <laughs> so... Like, it's just, one, just really satisfying to sing along and rock along with. But when you look at the song and listen to it, they go into painstakingly detail over all the ways that he's been sleeping with Fiona behind Scotty's back. <laughs> um, in his front lawn, in the snow, Scotty doesn't know. She, I think I think one part is... Uh, um, she tells him she's at church, but she doesn't go. Still, she's on her knees, and Scotty doesn't know. Um, so the whole song is this whole, like, all the ways that she's been cheating on Scotty. Um, and I think the best way that the movie shows this or starts this is the cameo used as the lead singer of the band. Totally. And, and, and I know a lot of folks know this one, but one thing I will say, Joe is because of this escalating series of lyrics that you've just described, the one that is this perfect and like absolute dagger in the heart of Scotty is because the whole time that he's listening to this, like he's sitting there with like his eyes are just like this and he's like, oh my God, are you serious? And I'm kind of squinting and looking sad for those of you listening to the audio only program. Mm -hmm. But then near the end of the song, he pulls the mic close and he goes, I did her on his birthday. And you're just like, what? Oh it's like, what? Oh. It's the, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. But yep. it's the and that's, it's also that's the when best. you see Scotty going from like mentally taking inventory of I can't believe this has been happening to fucking hell. Yes. Like, yes. He's just done. He's just so he like, crushes his beard. He just turns around and sadly walks away. Like how, how does it possibly get any worse the entire time? And they manage to like top how bad it gets it's every single dagger. lyric in that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way the song yeah. does it too, where it's like, you've got this like raising bit of the music, like we're exciting. We're coming to crescendo. Then it starts to like come down just a little bit and then it's very soft i did her on his birthday yeah. oh and yeah instantly ramps right back up again it's like it <laughs> it's like it just stabbed and then it twisted <laughs> I, I just still can't believe okay so of all of the original music that appears in films right like i look at some of the crown jewels we've got on our own by bobby brown for you know ghostbusters 2 mm-hmm. and and I, I i know that's like everyone's like how did you go straight to that 
And I'm like, look, yeah, yeah. it is one of the best Good damn original songs for a movie. <laughs> Let's just stop it right there. Mm-hmm. But this one is a song that everybody's probably heard before, may not have seen the movie, and it's mm-hmm. like, that's how good this was. It didn't yeah. have to just live within the movie to be a good song. It was just a damn good song. Yep. And again, it, it clearly succeeded past what the movie was capable of doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The movie just didn't miss its mark on the grosses and with the audience. Yes. But I don't want to say it missed its mark with the audience because I think everyone, most of us who saw this enjoyed it. I definitely, oh, yeah. this was uh, a regular rewatch with my friends in high school uh, yes. and a little bit in college. But I mean, yeah. going back to this part of the movie, though, this is where we get introduced to the full cast of our main characters. Yes. Because before this, we did get Scotty's family, and they're, they're in and out throughout the movie. Um, and then we got introduced to Cooper at the graduation as well. And Cooper. If you are un, I, like, it's my my brain is actually slipping with the actor, but he reminds me of like a young David Spade with his both his. Look oh and no his no demeanor. no! You're totally right. Jacob Pitts. He, so he mm-hmm. plays Cooper Harris. Uh, Jacob Pitts yes. would actually play another kind of smarmy character in uh, the Twenty One movie about the uh, card counting, mm-hmm. you know, college students, and so he was the perfect balance to Scott Meklowich, who played Scott Thomas. Because, you know, Scott is the straight-laced and do-gooding guy, and then... Goody two-shoe, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Cooper is like the perennial douchebag. Everybody has a friend like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right, though. The party, this party is the the landing zone for kind of propelling the rest of the film. Uh, because mm-hmm. we do get introduced to uh, Jenny and Jamie, the twins, Jamie. played by mm-hmm. uh, Michelle Trachtenberg and Travis Wester. Uh, and there you go. Travis Wester, if you are listening, by the way, which he probably isn't, check your DMs. We've been trying to reach you for like two years now, <laughs> but <laughs> but yes, this is the this is the landscape for kind of propelling everything that happens because we find out the twins are going to Europe and the guys are looking for a reason to go, kind of thing. Uh, after they find that out, but I didn't want to skip this because Joe, you did mention the Matt Damon connection. We know a lot of people mm-hmm. are aware of this because Matt Damon appears as the lead singer of the band singing Scotty Doesn't Know. And yep. this was before his appearances in like the Thor films where you're like, what the hell is he doing in that? You know, making this weird cameo. <laughs> well, this, this one is a lot more simple than that, okay? This is a very simple cameo because he's friends with the writers and directors of the movie. They all know each other from Harvard. And one of the very important details about this movie, it was like 95% shot in Prague, okay? They had to shoot it overseas because they they had to maximize the looks and the scenery and everything, and then they green-screened everything else in. So Matt Damon just happened to be shooting the Brothers Grimm at the same time, so he was already in Prague. And so that's what they had to do in kind of casting things is, who's already here? Like, who can we get that's yes. already here? Mm-hmm. Cost-cutting measure. Yeah, but it also explains why Ben Affleck did not show up anywhere in this movie when Matt Damon was tied to it. Yeah, but it also means... If you watched movies at this time, they were, they were like a package deal, a good majority of movies they were in. But it also mm-hmm. means that Heath Ledger could have been there because he would have been in Prague the same yeah. time Matt Damon was. But either way. Also it's... gone too soon. Never forget. Oh. No. Oh, yes. Requiescat in pace. But either way, 
he's gone now. But yeah, so that's the explanation. I know a lot of people have kind of thought uh, a couple times here, like, how the hell could they have done this? And usually they kind of theorize, you know, he knew them and, you know, but Matt Damon actually did a full interview explaining this very thing. And I think people just wanted to avoid the truth <laughs> or not look closely yeah, at it. Well, yeah, well, it was out there. Just like yeah. Mulder and Scully have always been suspected. The truth is out there. And yes. it was on YouTube the whole time. Yes. Oh, yes. But yeah. Um, so now you may be wondering, well, it was shot in Prague. However, clearly that scene takes place here in the States. I believe in Ohio is, there, is where they're from originally. Exactly. Uh, so that's where they're graduating from. It's where they grew up. Yay, Ohio. And we're wondering, how do they actually get to Europe? What's the reason for them being there? Well, our Scotty, brokenhearted and now drunk, goes home to talk to his basically almost like a kind of like an internet pen pal sort of thing he got going on from him taking a German class. And he was like basically assigned through class to talk to someone. And he's talking to his friend. His friend asks if, well, uh, now that you're single, maybe we should meet up in Germany sometime, and that would be great. And Scotty, in a drunken stupor, freaks the fuck out and thinks that this guy is a total weird internet predator, and he says, never talk to me again, dude. And then we find out Scotty, not very good with German. Because he doesn't because know. It turns out he doesn't know. <laughs> sorry, he sorry. doesn't know yeah. a lot of things. He has no clue that his girlfriend's cheating on him and that... Jan is actually not a woman's, is not a men's name. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mika. It was Mika. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah Mika, Mika yeah. Is, it was yeah. Mika and her cousin Jan, and he had a picture yeah. of them, and he thought Mika was the boy's name and Jan was the woman's name. So, yeah, he, he flipped them. And he found this out because of his little brother who was making fun of him. And I want to point out, though, yeah. the details of the emails, because people did go back and screenshot these and kind of tested them for quality. And the things that they say in the dialogue about what the messages contained are actually true. So when she talks yeah. about, you know, oh, being a little girl and, and all these things, all that stuff that appears in the dialogue is actually what's in the emails. So it's it's an interesting level of detail you typically do not get in comedies. You know, there's there's definitely a, yep. a level of, of commitment there. It also really shows that Scotty did not know German. If all if after all this time he's getting messages saying when I was a little girl and he just glosses over that, doesn't understand it, or just mixes up the, the masculine feminine part of the German language. Well, but yeah. So anyway, yeah. it turns out that uh Mika actually kinda thought Scotty was cute. And Scotty has officially blown his chances unless he goes to Germany and thus yes. the plot has been thickened <laughs> and thus the Euro trip begins yes absolutely and <laughs> but that's what I, I, I was always laughing about this is because okay look you've got a, a comedy that obviously is an Academy Award winner right mm -hmm. but this is one of the few things I will knock the film for it is a reoccurring thing that happens throughout the movie where it's like the smallest of margins advances forward, right? Like it's, there's usually some small detail that always comes out of nowhere. And this is one of those things like this whole, this whole idea that you just happen to miss one word advances the entire plot. Like that's, that's not the worst thing ever, but once they actually go 
to travel to Europe. Suddenly we've got this thing where we, oh, if if we just be couriers, then we can get on a flight and we'll be on our way. You know, it's Mm -hmm. that kind of thing keeps happening a lot throughout the rest of the movie. I check that when I, when I tend to watch it, because if I look, look at it too closely, I'll I'll never have any fun with this. But for people that watch these kind of comedies and they look at that and they're going to go, I can't suspend my, my sense of belief this much. I, I just want to warn you, you, you probably should leave that at home for this movie. <laughs> this, this is going to happen a lot. And I, I want to see if I remember this right, because like you said, they, they basically got jobs as couriers to go. Was it the, the deleted scenes where they had the reason why their flights were so cheap is because they agreed to have zero luggage space. So you see them wearing all of their clothes at once. Yes, yes. And that's how they got to fly so cheap everywhere. Yes, that's. Uh, I think it's the, either the unrated version or one. Yeah, one of the extended scenes. Ah, but yes, mm-hmm. yes, you are right. Yeah, and, yep. and that's mm-hmm. that's the one thing. Like before we get into a lot of this stuff, that that's the the one, the one thing I will give to people that do want to criticize this movie because I, I would say this is the one comedy where I do shut everything off. I don't think too hard about anything because so much of what happens in this film from here on out is so ridiculous. There is no point to dice it up and like come at it sideways. There's just no reason to. And no, yeah. Like think of it as just like, if you ever traveled anywhere internationally or even like, even like, you know, like even within the U S if you're listening to us from here or in your home country, like, I feel like almost every big trip you go on, you have like one thing that happens that you can't believe actually happened. Like there's no way this happens to people and it happened to you. Well, it's a movie, so they kind of blow that out of proportion. And instead of one thing happening that you can't believe that happened, the movie has happened that you can't believe has really happened. And that's kind of the best mindset I think you can have to carry into going carry into this movie is that it's it is your one thing magnified throughout. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how comedies not how all comedies were, but how a majority of comedies were at this time. Well, remember this too. These aren't adults playing kids. These are actors who are actually young actors that, you know, are either teens or very early 20s, and they cast them on mm-hmm. purpose because of that. And the yeah. the creators of the film said, "We do not want to have what everybody is used to seeing in this kind of stuff." And so what I always kept thinking to myself was, "Yeah, these are people that are fresh out of high school. They should be making stupid decisions." They, they should be, they should be so sure of themselves because they don't know any better, and, and so that's why I think it is really funny that we do advance that way throughout their like immediate journey in the UK, you know, being so assumptive, and then ending up in a soccer hooligans bar. <laughs> yep, and this is also where it comes like you can really tell. I don't know. I don't know if it's just you could tell over me, but you could tell that you had Seinfeld veteran uh, writing part of this. Because there's a particular song that shows up not once but twice in Seinfeld. Yes. That shows up here too. And when you when you realize who's writing the movie, it starts to make more sense. So like like Mark was saying, we do end up in a um, in a pub in England, and it is filled with Manchester United's biggest fans. They are in fact Manchester United's fan club, and they're headed by the one and only notorious. Soccer player or football player, uh, Vinnie Jones. And yes. if you're not familiar with Vinnie Jones, 
He is in Gone in 60 Seconds as uh, a Sphinx, who has one line in the whole movie, because he's silent the most of the time. Uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, for more of our posh or bougie film, uh, film goers. But for those of you who may not know, Vinnie Jones was once an actual football player. Yeah. I, when I say football player, I do not mean American football, but international football player. And holds the record for fastest ejection in a football game, where within, I think, the first three seconds of the game, he walked right up another player, grabbed him by his balls, held him up and twisted. And that got him kicked right the hell out. So he was a very, very hardcore, <laughs> hardcore player. It's a shame what they'll penalize you for, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, now, I, to this day, I still say that guy was flopping. There's no way that. <laughs> you know what the most important detail mm-hmm. of of this whole exchange, though, is that he played for the Wimbledon Football Club. He still mm-hmm. hates Manchester United to this day. <laughs> so for any of you that are over overseas, particularly in the UK, because I know there's folks that do listen from the UK, that that's a detail that that absolutely needs to stay at the forefront because he yes. hates Manchester. So hopefully, Which, if any Jones ever hears this, yeah, <laughs> had to be just a great level of comedy um, for anyone who is familiar with his football career and uh, sees him rooting for Manchester, like very <laughs> much so, like the hardcore diehard club fans that exist in the UK. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, something. it's yeah. yeah. That's, that's that's one of those behind the scenes details that I've always kind of cracked up at. That it's 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 funny that a lot of people may have forgotten this now, but Vinnie Jones was like first real athletes turned actor. I know folks want to put like point like O.J. Simpson and, but this is a time before The Rock. This is before Dwayne Johnson was like doing movies left and right, and over the course of like the early two thousands. Like Vinnie Jones was in almost forty movies. That's like legit, almost almost forty <laughs> movies. That's not a joke. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I think it's it's impressive uh, that he managed to be in this one. He's like the mm-hmm. first of many interesting cameos that we'll go through. Yes, but yes. and so he he's of course upset that two American blokes have wandered into their pub uh, because this is exclusive an establishment for the fans of the Manchester United Football Club, where he makes them sing the Manchester United Football Club song. And Scotty, miraculously, on the spot, when forced to sing, who is going under the guise of, we are the Manchester Football Club uh, division of Ohio, and we are here (laughs) to visit uh, and enjoy the great pub for what it is, is forced to sing on the spot the theme song, or the the, the song, it turns out to be none other than Morning Train by Sheena Easton, which of course appeared in two episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, so if you if you haven't made that connection before, haha, you can thank Schaefer for bringing that one back. Which was pretty good. Pretty damn good, lads! Pretty good, lads! Yes! <laughs> so they go into a great night of them getting just, just hammered and shit-faced in this bar, and they wake up on a bus heading to France for the next day. Some people have taken issue with this depiction of like UK-based folks as soccer mm-hmm. hooligans that are just terrorizing everyone and getting into fights and all that kind of stuff. And this is one of those areas, Joe, that people have kind of knocked it for. Like this didn't age well. I didn't really care for this part, Mm -hmm. you know, like that kind of commentary. And 
while I haven't obviously lived over there and I can't comment on the, you know, the, whether or not this is actually harmful, it could be, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like it isn't, but I will say this, this like ragtag group of soccer fans, how they behave, how they all manage to wake up because they are used to drinking this much and Mm -hmm. they're just, and they're just on a bus heading across country. I mean, I thought it was delivered pretty well because it, because to me, it shows that, mm-hmm. yeah, these are these are like tested people. They've been doing this for so long. They can drink an entire night and be up at like 3 a.m. on a bus, you know, hopping countries. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not like I, I, I feel bad because like the, the name of the film is slipping. And it is a, um, a depiction not so much of um, football in the U.K., but more of the people, more of like the fan clubs that are a part of it, or like these big club supporters, and how to them actually going to fight before the matches is the bigger part that they enjoy than the actual match themselves. And so I, I, I feel like that should be more of a damaging stereotype to, uh, to the fans as opposed to this movie because it's a comedy. Um, and obviously, like, kind of like pointing out stereotypes among like different like different groups of like people based off of things they can't help like their skin color is not a good thing to do but when it's things like this i think it's cheeky and kind of harmless so i mean this is also coming from like united states where our football fans you know have riots when their teams win the super bowl or the world series in which case you know we only have two countries participating in that anyway it's hard to say we're world champions but you know it's kind of like just out of control sports fans, and you have that globally. Um, so yeah. I guess it always it always hurts when you're the one to get poked fun of. But I mean, of all the things you can make fun of, like another country for, I think this one's pretty harmless. I was gonna say every single country has this, knows about this. They can attribute it mm-hmm. to some sport. I mean, some behavior. Everybody's got this. So I I, I agree with you on this. I don't think that this is truly all that harmful and if anything it's i think it does more to actually advance the film because otherwise how the hell do our kids get from the uk to mainland europe right so yeah what i love about this movie though is the fact that these kids are utilizing the transportation that's available to them which i know sounds obvious but there's a reason why i specifically said that is because they do decide because the the friends actually do separate at this party after high school. So our main characters, Scotty and Cooper end up in the UK and then their friends, the twins are actually in, you know, uh, mainland Europe going to all these tourist stops. So they actually come back together Mm -hmm. and agree. Okay, let's give this a shot to get you to Germany and here's how we're going to do it. Well, Mm -hmm. we're going to skip over some of this because we absolutely need to get to probably what's the most quoted part of this film. And it's a it's a part of the film, Joe, that almost didn't happen. Okay, which is a disservice to everyone who's seen this movie. <laughs> yes, it is this incredibly hilarious and, co- and completely shocking scene on a train, where mm-hmm. I think it perfectly describes the terror a lot of us have when you're going into a train and you have to sit in a in a you know in a, in a car like this. And you never know who's going to open that door. Yeah. And right? when you're going to be on this train for a very long time, because if you have never traveled by train before, 
imagine paying just as much money as you would pay to fly somewhere, but do the same thing that takes about two to three times as long to get there. So you're next to these people. Imagine having like the person next to you who's falling asleep on your shoulder and then the person like with their baby obnoxiously crying next to you. I mean, if you're on a plane, hopefully that's no more than like three hours. But on a train, they have a private room with you and you're there for a day. Yeah, now babies are one thing. But what happens when it's a guy with a pencil thin mustache, a a tan suit, (laughs) and and what I'm assuming is some kind of fake tan? Because when you see (laughs) this character later who doesn't have his pants on, his legs are a completely different color than his face. (laughs) But yes, we get one of the the next absolute stunning cameos Mm -hmm. in this movie. Now, at this point in time, Fred Armisen plays this cameo. He is the man that walks into this trail or tram car with them and just looks suspicious as hell, can't speak English, and decides to sit down with our teenagers. And his hand just kind of drifts a little bit too much. Yes. And it's always, they, they, I mean, it's a kind of like a, um, almost like Scooby-Doo-esque style comedy here where like it happens because they go into tunnels. Yes. And so they go into the tunnel and everything seems fine. When they come out of the tunnel, he's suddenly much, much closer. Well within the personal bubble that none of us like to have bursted by someone who we don't know, let alone in the complete dark. Which I think it, this is some brilliant acting by Michelle Trachtenberg during this sequence mm-hmm. because she's the first one to notice that when the darkness mm-hmm. comes through and then they come back in the light, suddenly his hand is on her brother's knee. And you can just see her face. She kind of goes like this and she's her head mm-hmm. tilts. And then she's starting to reach for, for Scotty and she's like, wait a second. Hey, do you, do you see what I'm seeing right now? And of course, this just escalates more and more. And... The, <laughs> I'm sure most people have heard the whole, oh, Miss Scoozy, Miss Scoozy, because I hear Ms. people Scoozy, say this. Yeah, I hear people say this everywhere, like literally yep. everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you screw up, you, you drop, oh, Miss Scoozy, you know. Oh, Miss Scoozy, Miss Scoozy. <laughs> like, how many times have you said Miss Scoozy, Joe, like amongst other people? So much. And it's entirely because of this movie. This is, that represents like, 95% of the Italian I know is Miss Scusi. <laughs> I used to know more from when I went to Rome for a, like a, a week and a half. Uh, but all of it is left, except for a few quotes from Ezio Auditore and Miss Scusi. It's the truth, man. And, and, and I, it's, it's crazy to think that out of about maybe three minutes of this movie, millions of people have been quoting just this part. Now, I, yeah. I know I said to you, Joe, that this almost didn't happen. The reason for that was they flew Fred Armisen out. They literally had one day to film this. And based on how night worked where they were filming in Prague, that meant they only had about four hours to work with. That's not a lot of time for movie making. They had to do (laughs) everything that they were going to do with Fred Armisen, who at the time, once again, Fred Armisen wasn't like, crazy well-known yet right no so it's a miracle this happened but yeah they had four and a half hours they get what's easily the most quoted part of the movie done 
Mm-hmm. And obviously we're still talking about to this day. <laughs> so <laughs> hats off. Like, mm-hmm. like I am just thankful. And, and the thing is, if you listen to the, like the director commentary and, and what they were saying about this scene, mm-hmm. uh, this was the only time that director Schaefer said that he ever physically fell out of his chair because he was laughing so hard. <laughs> it's because like, every time you, you, you see Armisen come out of a tunnel he manages to crank the dial up on his weirdness that much more. Oh my God. So again, it so starts bad. with that weird little touchy feely thing on the leg. Then he's like doing this just absurd massage at some point in time. Next thing you know, his pants are off and he's got a cigarette lit. And... Yep. Yep. <laughs> my God. Nobody asks oh. what happened. We just knew something nope. happened. And yes. it's, just, it's just one of those movies where you question how much of this was written and how much of this was the actor just making it happen, which to me is unfair to the writing because a lot of times it could just be a sign of really good writing because of just how either natural it looks or how absurd it is that it seems like no one would have thought of that. And this is, this is definitely the latter. It just seems like who would have thought to do, to have Fred Armisen do this, if not Fred Armisen himself, Uh, because he would have just thought on it like spur the moment really quick. And I can't say for certain myself whether or not, like, all of his individual actions were scripted or if it was like, um, hey, you're going to start with this. We just kind of need you to ramp it up every time. Um, I'm sure it, him, him ending up pantsless was definitely, like, maybe that was like, okay, you're going to start with a weird leg touch. You're ending up pants. You're ending up without your pants. You do the in-between. Who knows? Who knows? This I don't know. But whoever thought of it, comedic gold. <laughs> I don't think that there is any possibility that someone directed him to get his underwear stuck up his ass. And when he walks out of the, the car, picks it out and then pulls it back to the sides of his ass. There's just no way, there's no way you can teach someone to do that. Right. And, And then, and then, okay. And then the worst part about this, after this ends, if you're watching the, the director's cut or, or the, uh, unrated edition, if you're watching just the normal one, he unpicks his wedgie and then starts walking away, right? In the unrated yeah. version, he unpicks this this wedgie and then immediately walks to the next car, just car. a door it down from them, and goes in there. <laughs> 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 so you know this is going to happen again very yeah. soon. And he's, and he's starting it pantsless, so God knows yeah. what's going to happen when he already starts at 11. <laughs> but sure, no. And, and they're, they're completely unaware. They have no idea. Yeah, They're just looking but, at him like mortified. Just except, me be scoozy, me be scoozy. He just <laughs> sits down, puts on his paper, and starts all over again. Dude, <laughs> and, and and that's when you think, like, you're, you've watched plenty of these teen movies, right? I, at this point in time, I had too, and each one of these scenes managed to shock me just as much as the previous one. Like that's 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 very rare for a comedy to do that. Mm-hmm. But it gets worse, doesn't it, Joe? It doesn't stop there. No, it doesn't, because they head to Amsterdam. And to the knowledge of every young American who has never been to Europe, Amsterdam just seems like it's the capital of debauchery. And anything goes. There are no rules, except for one rule. And that rule is that there are no rules. So that's what's going into the minds of pretty much all of these young teens um, you've got Michelle Trachtenberg hoping to fall in love with this very dignified, um, like European somewhere along this trip. Scotty obviously is our main idea for going there. 
Jamie is just hoping to see Europe. He's the, the nice, hopeless, like, tourist here. But then there's Cooper. Cooper is very excited at the prospect of going to a sex club in Amsterdam. And he becomes very unexcited after he, figure, after he actually goes to said place in Amsterdam. <laughs> he is the only one who's looking to have crazy European sex. That, that is his yes. absolute mission. Mm-hmm. And he's the only one who doesn't get anywhere close to it. Now, yeah. for some of you out there that have, you know, not heard of Clump Vandersex, it's hard <laughs> to really describe exactly how this, this whole thing comes about. Because, you know, for those of you who have seen, like, Hostel, for example, mm-hmm. describing the physical things that happen in Hostel, pretty easy to do, despite how shocking and violent it is. No. I'm, I'm going to try for this one. Because Cooper ends up at Club Vandersex, which is looks like a standard brothel. You know, you've got your lineup mm-hmm. of women, and you you pick who you end up with. Furniture is oddly Victorian, and yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Except the the women go away, and they never come back. And instead, they're replaced with with two German men in leather overalls. I, it's more like an apron like black yeah. leather apron and these german yeah. men are mm-hmm. so tall they have to duck to get into the room <laughs> not to mention they're they're like bodybuilders uh yep. named hans hans and gruber yep and and, and i have to yeah. stop for a second because not all of the girls went away because the, oh, the this is true. mistress who is also a magnificent cameo and if you again were growing up in the 90s you will recognize her as Xena Warrior Princess. None other than Lucy Lawless herself is the headmistress of this place. And she talks with a very thick accent. And in case that in some of our guests, the ecstasy becomes too great. And when they say <laughs> no, they really mean yes. We have the safe word. And she writes the safe word down on a piece of paper for Cooper, who doesn't think he will need it. So he doesn't even look at it. But then this is when the women go away with the... Massive clap. The whole scene changes. (laughs) (laughs) He's like handcuffed to this big, like weird looking table. A lot of very provocative sex toys. And these two very tall, muscular German men pop out. And then he scrambles for the safe word. Oh, yes. And what happens, Mark, when he goes to find the safe word? Well, if you mispronounce this safe word, which is roughly about 35 characters, Something very drastic happens, and it involves what, what it's, once again, this is hard to describe, but it's some kind of customized pleasure device, which has four dildos attached to it, uh, and, and they rotate in a circle. I think they also maybe vibrate or oscillate. Yes, they do both. I, I think there's even a laser sight on it, I'm pretty sure. Maybe yeah, <laughs> I can't quite There remember. definitely is. And we should also mention it is gas-powered. They had to start yes. it like a lawnmower. Yes, very true. <laughs> now, all the, all the while, we've got like this intense like German techno playing in the background. And, and as this – you mentioned it's like a Victorian-looking you know, brothel. But when he says – like when he goes into this room – 
suddenly like all the curtains are just yanked away. The furniture's pulled out and it's just a concrete room with like steel bars showing. And, and this is, this yep, is what Cooper gets to look dungeon. forward to. Yeah. The only color <laughs> in the room after this happens is the pink handcuffs that he's attached to this apparatus with. Mm-hmm. Oh, God damn yeah. it. And it also <laughs> I have, I'm trying to remember is this, this isn't the town where they stay at a hostel, is it? Or is that oh, not in the Germany? in the in the cut? Yeah, the cut content. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's a brilliant scene there too. Um, but yeah, it may not be here. But like other things that do happen while they are in Amsterdam, because again, like we said, the debauchery is no holds barred to the mind of the young American. Uh, they believe they want to try absinthe for the first time. So if oh, you aren't yes. familiar with, with absinthe that is supposed to make you so drunk, you get to the point where you are hallucinating because it is the purest of alcohol. And they call it the Little Green Fairy because that's apparently what you see uh, while you're drunk. And here is where we also get another Seinfeld. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Steve Heitner uh, himself. Yeah. yeah, Kenny, Kenny Banya is, is the Green Fairy. <laughs> and they Which, get to see him when, I gotta they're say, really, when they're really drunk. When I first saw this, I, I thought to myself, is that Banya? Because I was one of the few people that watched Seinfeld growing up in my friend group. Nobody, I'm like looking at everybody else going, oh my God, that's Kenny Banya. And they're like, who the fuck is that? And so I had nobody else to like verify it with, you know, like I wasn't, yeah. wasn't a pop culture journeyman or anything at that point in time. So I couldn't even believe it. And for Steve Heitner and the amount of things I've seen him in, he is very vulgar in this movie. Very vulgar. He is, yeah. And I also think one of the things that makes it also like so difficult for it being like a cameo for this character is that you would think, um, again, it being like we've got a Seinfeld writer, he's already referenced other Seinfeld things within this movie, maybe he'll slip in a, this absinthe is gold, Jerry. It's gold. But you don't get that. Instead, this absinthe is bullshit because no one's feeling anything from being on it, despite the fact that they're seeing the Green Fairy. Uh, so... It was, again, like it's, um, I don't know, kind of like a hidden cameo where, like, you really have to get it to get it, even though there, I guess there's no really reference to him being Kenny Banya here. Uh, but, yeah, if you yeah. watch Seinfeld enough, like, you'll, you'll see Kenny Banya as the Green Fairy. Yeah, I, I seriously, it, it took me a few years to actually realize it because I saw this in theaters and then, like, nobody else wanted to see it after that point. I, mm-hmm. I, was, so, I was so shocked by that. And then it kind of became this movie that you would show to your friends. And then next thing you know, it would just grow that much more. And we're, we're obviously not going to tell every single thing in this movie. There are people who haven't seen it yet. But mm-hmm. there is another thing, yeah. Joe, that I want to point out that is very important in the next stop after Amsterdam. And that's yes. when they head to, to, to Slovakia, specifically Bratislava, <laughs> which is <laughs> the way that they do Nowhere near Berlin. Boom. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. They end up hooking up with a dude who's high on, on medication he bought at a pit stop and trying to <laughs> just get away from a woman he stabbed. And suddenly they end up way off course. Mm-hmm. But when they go to Bratislava, the joke is that the exchange rate is so great from the for a United States dollar in Bratislava that they can basically live it up. And, and that's actually yeah. where the absinthe thing happens is in Bratislava. Oh yeah, it was in Amsterdam. It was a process. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but here's the thing: I, I don't want to give away everything that happens in Bratislava, but what I will mention is that this this joke about the exchange rate 
we've talked about numbers a few times on this show, okay? I wanted to peel back <laughs> and look at 2004 for a minute because I always okay. wondered what was the exchange rate like for their currency because they weren't using the euro back in 2004. No, so, no, no. Individual currencies still hanging out. Yes, they were using the Slovak Karuna as their, you know, as their currency. And I came to find out that one American dollar was equal to 32.27 Slovak Karunas. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. And I, I have someone who's taken advantage over, like, foreign exchange rates and having the dollar be sometimes two to six times as much uh, from when I've traveled and thoroughly enjoying it. I cannot tell you the amount of glee I would have over knowing one dollar be worth 32. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if you're watching this movie and 22 and beyond and you hear about that gotta love that exchange rate thing visiting Bratislava I never realized it, that like holy shit one dollar equals 32 like that's nuts <laughs> that is insane it is absolutely insane. like I remember like again like shopping um and going to countries where like bartering is still like barter not bartering haggling is still like a thing like it's a commonplace to actually get mad if you don't try and negotiate for prices and yeah. basically saying, okay, so here's the price they're going to charge you because you are American. This is the fair price to get to. The closer you can get them to that, the better off you should be. But you should never pay more than this. And mm -hmm. even then, you're thinking, like, but if I pay the price we're asking for, that's still pretty cheap <laughs> by, my, by my currency. They're like, it doesn't matter that it's still cheap to you. Like, you can get ripped off. There's, <laughs> go cheaper. <Yeah>. So <laughs> just try to imagine $32, like, to one. <laughs> <laughs> I had to know. Oh. I had to know specifically for this conversation because I've yeah. always wondered that. Like, how is it possible that this joke could even exist in a movie? And then you go, "Oh shit, okay, that makes some sense to me." You know, because he because he he flips the nickel as a tip to the guy. And he goes, "I opened my I own my hotel." And slaps the the manager and runs up. Oh my god! <laughs> like you could literally go back to like the old times of like paying people with sacks of coins. Like I could have like. $20 and quarters in the throat to someone and be like, here you go. Meh. And then the coins like shoot out like, oh my God, boom, American quarters. And I mean, when you look at like, it seems funny, but like, really, that's going to be a pretty poor country. <laughs> like it's going to oh, yeah. be horrible for the people there. And it, it feels wrong to laugh at it when the exchange rate is that extreme. But man, could live like a king. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. How incredible. Yeah. Now, I will say this is this definitely kind of feels like a, a part in the movie where you do get to relax a little bit. You know, like normally in these mm -hmm. these types of films, things just get so bad, you're almost kind of getting depressed, right? And so for a comedy to do this kind of uplifting part at this stage, mm -hmm. I, I thought was a really good move because – Things do yeah. kind of get, you know, they could have been shitty based on the directions that they were going, but not here. You know, th this is that no. part where things actually turn up for our, our main characters. And mm -hmm. from this point on, though, like we're, we're kind of about 75% of the way through the movie. Okay. For, for those of you that are still listening at this point in the recording. Mm -hmm. And so what we're not going to do is tell you how this movie ends. No, no, no. But do know that. I love the uh, the appropriateness of Mark saying that this is where the movie starts to go right because it could have been really depressing. And I think that's most because they visited Bratislava in the summer because in the winter, 
It can be depressing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, that was probably one of the funniest quotes because because you because they, when they come up to this this apartment building when they first get there, there's like a girl who's peeing in the street, and there's a dog with a hand in its mouth, <laughs> and, and so the, the actor's name is uh, uh, Rade uh, Shorbardija, I think. I think that's how I pronounced it, Sherbizia. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who he is, specifically he plays uh, Boris the Blade in Snatch. Like a lot of people know him as Boris the Blade. Uh, he also ends up playing the father to Marco from Tripoya in Taken. And he ends up playing him in the second movie just to help you visualize. If not, he looks like your standard Russian gangster for most people. But he's the one who delivers it, and he also delivers all these lines about like forgotten American pop culture that they're just now getting in yep. Slovakia. <laughs> Where's the beef? <laughs> you know? He has like a, a gremlin painted like the General Lee. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> not, even, not even a gremlin. It's just some like obscure European like tiny yeah. car. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the hell it is. Yeah. Miami oh, Wise. Oh Great show. <laughs> Great show. Number one, so, your favorite show. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so either way, we'll we'll let you decide if you want to continue watching from here because the end of this movie is actually pretty damn funny. There's still, yeah. like we mentioned before, they never really stop the shock in this movie. Like it, it's ramped up the entire time, and so some of the most shocking things do happen at the end. But here's what we're gonna do instead. We like to talk about Lasting Legacy quite a bit on this show because we're retelling the history of our people, which is the millennial people, right? We're proud yes. yet, uh, I would say hardworking, but a lot of us aren't. But, Joe, for this movie, do you mm-hmm. think that there are lasting issues with it instead of you know, talking about the best things that could have happened? What do you think maybe there's some issues are with this movie? Um... And this is so mean to do because, like, it's comedy. Most comedies do not age well. There's always going to be something that's like, ooh, that wouldn't fly today. (laughs) You can't do that now. I can't do that anymore. And it's definitely not me making a comment on saying that, like, we're changing too much. We're like, oh, I can't believe we're too soft or this is how we are now because that's ridiculous. Things change. Um, So... But I do feel bad over how much I like this, but I also understand that there's no way I could agree with saying these things anymore. Or, like, I definitely wouldn't... I don't know if I would show this to my grandchildren and laugh hysterically in front of it. It'd be my own private fun. Uh, But my guess is probably the train scene Um, (laughs) is probably going to be... Well, something that we talked about, how much we absolutely loved it because how funny it was. I think it could be the most problematic because of... One, as someone who has traveled abroad and have parents who are terrified of it because it kind of reinforces a stereotype that you will fall victim to a sexual predator as soon as you get to Europe. Um, And also, uh, you know, a bit of homophobia involved in that too because in in this case it is, you know, uh, Fred Armisen uh, going after Jamie instead of like the one female that's in the group. Sure. I'm not saying it would be any better if it was Michelle Trachtenberg instead of him, but it just it kind of does like a two for one thing. It's like, oh, you're going to Europe, prepare to be sexually assaulted. Oh, 
it's a guy, so it's gonna be even worse. Like, oh no, here, 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 here are the gays. Like, they're the worst people on the planet because they're going to do this because they're gay. And I think that's it reinforces a bad stereotype that's been there. Like the whole idea that like, oh no, we can't have a gay guy in the bathroom because he's he's looking at my junk. Like, no, he probably isn't. Probably not because you're not attractive anyway. You're like a two out of ten. If we really got to rate you, pal, and you're worried about it, but it's it just enforces a bad stereotype that was around at that time. And I think for some people um, who can look at it almost and like through the common lens that we were laughing at it through, it's easy to still laugh at, just as easy it was to laugh at it then. But it's definitely something that will have you know problems that can be easily talked about now as opposed to like oh everyone thinks it's funny i suppose i can't talk about how shameful this actually is or how hurtful this actually is so i think that's that's something that like again does not hold up in the worst possible way well i i agree with that in some ways because i've heard that before that the train scene is predicated on him being creepy because because he's gay right or, or at least that it's the assumption that he is and I personally never really saw it that way. I just saw him being predatory. You know, the the, yeah. the idea that he could be gay didn't really dawn on me as being mm-hmm. the, the problem. But the, the, the scene that I did see that being a major factor was when Michelle Trachtenberg's character learns that the guy that she's been attracted to and sees across Europe, that he's cheating on his wife but she only really takes a major issue is when he mentions that he also hooks up with men too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now that is the part where I went clearly that's where the homophobia part really lives is in that scene. Yep. And I don't know if that's just maybe a basis of people not understanding how Europeans handle relationships as opposed to Americans at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend like I do understand that, but, but for me, that's where I said, if you want a clear cut, situation where this was what happened that would be the one i would come back to not so much the train scene but when i think about it though if those are the most like the the most uh, problematic scenes in a movie for a comedy that's being shocking the entire time that's that's pretty impressive i should say yeah. i would say mm-hmm. <laughs> because they even had to cut out the uh, visit to the Anne Frank Museum, which is what oh, God. the Vandersex scene ended up being. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to involve Cooper thinking that the Anne Frank Museum was a whorehouse or brothel or whatever. Oh, and, God, yeah. And they had to mm-hmm. cut that scene. Yeah, like the studio went, no, no, no. This no, isn't happening. That, that, we we <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> yeah. That, so trust me, it could have been worse. Here. Yeah, mm-hmm. the movie could have been far, far yeah. worse than that. And now, I mean, but, come to think of it, a lot of the scenes that probably don't hold up probably don't hold up because of Cooper. <laughs> it's um, very, yes, very like true. the the hot tub scene in the in the in the beginning of the movie, or um, the uh, the the Vatican guard scene, probably yes. not great <laughs> for Cooper yes. and and the movie. So again, like there's a lot of comedy that was never okay, but for the time, was more socially acceptable than it is now the way i look at this movie if if i have to give out accolades to it for me this is the best raunchy teen film out of that entire generation 
Mm-hmm. There, there is nothing else that comes close to this. People can look at American Pie and go like, oh, yeah, he put his dick in an apple pie. You know, oh, yeah, he got caught masturbating in his bedroom. It's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. That's, that's, that stuff isn't even, I'm not laughing at that stuff now. No. I mean, aside from the apple pie thing, because, you know, I didn't do that. But who had, like, young men, like, out there, like, you've probably been caught masturbating at least once. Um, and the way they did it in this movie, nothing, nothing groundbreaking. I, I guess, like, the, uh, the way the dad handled it was hilarious. Um, and then he decided to talk about the birds and the bees within the moment. But, like, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing quite like what this movie does. Well, that's what I think is hilarious about this movie is that his his dad, uh, Scotty's dad, who's played by Jeffrey Tambor, who, take it or leave it nowadays, he's had some issues and, mm-hmm. frankly, he's kind of an asshole. But in the in the film, the parents are completely removed. You know, they, they have no idea what the kids are doing. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why I thought this was funnier because so many of these things that people haplessly try to represent in teen movies – they avoided here. Mm-hmm. Like they completely toned down the drama. They toned down the parental involvement. And really we just have frankly naive and stupid characters trying to navigate even dumber situations. Mm-hmm. And and the majority of them are still funny now. I mean, if you're just discovering this movie for the first time, there's going to be plenty of things you're going to go. Yeah, that didn't age. Well, that's not as funny now, but most of the scenes in this movie are going to trump other teen comedies you're going to see from the same same era mm-hmm. age as well. Exactly. And again, like it, it does a lot of what the teen comedies were doing back then. Like obviously there's like a guy, uh, a young guy chasing a girl somewhere. And that's kind of like the whole plot of the movie. And that's what a lot of them boil down to is that because like at this time you've got two things happening with these teen, like either comedies or teen dramas. And it's guy doing ridiculous things to try and get to girl or girl who is nerdy because she wears glasses and when she takes them off, suddenly she's attractive and popular. And it, it turns out, Oh my God, I, I don't know how I didn't see her the whole time. And that's, those are the movies you get at this time. And again, this movie just does a great job of taking that same idea that the other ones were doing, but just taking, taking a huge detour from what the rest of them were doing around that main central plot. And I'm not surprised that the writers of Seinfeld managed to make a successful property with three guys and a girl. (laughs) And at no point do you feel like any of those four people is smarter than any of the others. No. And, and and that's why it's balanced so well. Mm -hmm. Yep. And as a, as a member of one of those groups in high school myself, where we had the one girl who's there the whole time, uh, just made this movie even that much more relatable. So because that's also who I watched this with quite a bit it was with my friends. So it was three guys and one girl hanging out, laughing her asses off at this movie. So, you know what, if you haven't picked up on this from the last hour of discussion, definitely go watch this movie. It is, mm-hmm. it is definitely worth the time. And it's one of those movies that is surprisingly well hidden, you know, d- despite how funny it's been and how many people reference it and how it still manages to live in pop culture even now yeah so uh with that you know we would like to thank you for listening to digital dissection as always we appreciate all the dissection crew does for us week after week your support really does go a long way and if you happen to upon this show by accident 
why not drop us a review or comment on the show? We love hearing from you, so feel free to message us over at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome your ideas for future shows, as well as any travel tips that you would want to share over where we should go in the event that we take our own Euro trip. So along with any other thing you'd like to discuss, we'd just like to say thank you. And until next time, keep on dissecting. Oh, I thought you were going to say Miss Goosey. Miss Goosey. Ha, 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 ha.